Shivani, we bout to party, we bout to party, unrestricted, got the house now, we gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down, got that big space pump and make them bounce now, flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Welcome to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling, you've got Aubrey and Tony here as your hosts. Tony's one of my closest, closest best friends in the world. How you feeling, buddy? I'm doing okay, buddy. It's good to be talking to you again and really excited about this podcast coming up and really excited about, uh, man, we're into our uh, into our third year of AEW or getting ready to start our third Jeez. year of AEW. Isn't it something? It's just amazing how time flies. And what is also amazing is how many of these great wrestling stars from around the world we're bringing into AEW. It's just, it's just incredible and it's great to see them every week. Yes. Who do we got here today? We have the amazing and wonderful Keith Lee. I felt like it's inevitable that you were going to be here and all of your excellence and whatnot. Took you long enough. So thanks for finally joining us. I appreciate it. Welcome to the family. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for that wondrous introduction as well. So you had an incredible debut on Dynamite. We Tony had built it up. There's exciting opportunity. Isaiah Cassidy's in the face of the revolution ladder match facing a mystery opponent and uh it was you and i think a lot of fans were very excited given that there were signs that literally matched your pose in the crowd i think everyone kind of wanted you there and felt like you were the best fit for that absolutely after seeing you literally toss isaiah across the ring was like oh no this this is what we wanted this is what we wanted the whole time we wanted this big strong guy this is great uh, <laughs> so I want to talk about the amazing ovation that you got when your music hit, when you came out. How did that feel for you? Yeah, it was a little, a little shocking. It, it, to say the least, it had been at least a few months since I had heard such a thing. And, and I really wasn't expecting it so immediate as it was. And as it stood, it was uh, jarring and exciting and uh, just a really warm, touching moment. And as you mentioned, the signs really uh, made it that much more special. So it was phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Keith, I want to talk about your entrance theme. What inspired it? What does it mean to you? And talk about working on that with Mikey Ruckus. Yeah, this is the first song that I've had not done by me in since 2016-ish. Okay. I think that I wanted something that was just different. When me and Mikey got a chance to chat, I just kind of told him, hey, I'm looking for something that's kind of big and kind of epic and still encompasses who I am. And I think that maybe that line is something that kind of led to the the song itself. But uh, I think that realistically it was less my inspiration and more his vision for the words that i gave him i think he did an excellent job with it to say the very least yeah it was one of those i remember seeing online people were like well keith didn't make his music blah 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 it's like the dude just got married like <laughs> give him some slack he's a little busy right now so first off congratulations you and me am recently tied the knot i know you guys have been together for a really long time yeah yeah, it's the timing of everything. You literally got married on, I think, a Saturday, and then that Wednesday, you're debuting. So how crazy was the short turnaround time between massive moments in your life? 
you know, much shorter than I would have liked to <laughs> uh, the way things were planned made a little bit difficult. And then there were some unexpected things like prior to my debut, literally the week prior and three weeks before that, four weeks, a month. So that month leading up to the wedding itself, I had three deaths in my family. Oh, no. I was all over the nation, which obviously took away from the things that I needed to be doing to get prepared for things. And, and yeah, there was a lot going on. And then the wedding was obviously a successful event, a lot of fun for the family and friends, and really enjoyed that. And then turn around and get done with that, do a photo shoot, and then pack a bag and get ready to go to work. So it comes with the territory. We'll put it that way. We are talking with Keith Lee uh, here on AW Unrestricted. So great to have him with us and so great to be able to talk to him uh, here this week. Uh, Tony Khan said in a recent interview with Sports Illustrated that, quote, much to my amazement, Keith Lee got released. And as soon as I saw that he was released, this was a moment I dreamed about. Tell us about your first time you met and talked with Tony Khan. I don't know if I should even say this stuff, but it's fine because it wasn't a business thing or anything. But yeah, that release happened, and within three days, Tony found a way to get in touch with me. I was actually really impressed with that, considering we had never spoken before. You know, we had some really laid-back conversations and kind of got to know each other a little bit. And I think that's something that helped because I think that some of my trust is a little disgruntled i get that so we had a conversation and then as time wore on things got a little easier we kind of met up and i have this thing where i i must meet a person in person right i'm a big people feeler as opposed to listening to things I, i'm a i'm an energy guy so when i did meet him i, I decided that you know he's a Fairly stand-up guy, and uh, I really enjoyed my time with him and, and just kind of getting to know him and what he's about and talking football and all that good stuff, especially as a former player. And then eventually, you know, that led into business. But in terms of, like, getting to know him, yeah, I had a blast. I had a lot of laughs and a lot of jokes, and, and, and he's just a, he's a swell guy, to say the very least. He's a really just, like, down-to-earth kind of guy that you're like, oh, we're good buddies. It's one of those weird things where you hear about it all the time through the media. And then as soon as you meet him, you're like, oh, he's exactly the guy everyone says he is. This is fantastic. I want to know when when was the moment where you're like, AEW is the place I need to be? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot of people I know that were here anyway. Some friends, some associates, some just mere colleagues. But I kind of felt like the happiness of people such as like an Adam Cole be somebody that I place a lot of stock in as a human being. There aren't a lot of people in this industry that you can just trust or get along with at certain levels, but I, I really like Adam Cole as a person. His testimony for his happiness here was something that made it a little easier. And I think that in the grand scheme of things, business when we got to speaking about that, made sense for me and my plans. And that's something that makes things a little easier when you get along with somebody and it also fits your plan and what you're wanting to do in life. 
it just helps. And so those talks were actually easier than I thought that they would be. So it kind of made the decision that much easier as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you can follow Keith Lee, by the way, and we'll mention him once again before we are off the air here. Real Keith Lee on uh, social media, Instagram and, and Twitter. You're a very positive person on social media. Please tell us about your Ford March and your limitless philosophies. I know that, you know, some people play a role on social media, but Keith Lee, in reality, never been some character, right? Right. Ford March and Limitless are both very closely related. And it's really just about keeping your your eyesight forward and, and marching through whatever it is you're going through. If you're having a tough time, something gets you down, finding a way to stand back up. And that's kind of what the Limitless moniker really is about. A lot of people think it's, well, you can do flips and, and all these different things, but I'm not going to be able to do those things forever. <laughs> so... But the mentality and mental fortitude is really what I'm about in terms of being limitless. And that's whether it's losing a match and needing to find a way to overcome, having a tough time in life, facing three deaths in my family, having to have a wedding and turn around and have a debut, trying to blow the minds of the people and remind them exactly who Keith Lee is. That takes a limitless mindset. Sometimes things are very tough when you think about them, but when I keep my eyes forward, my head straight, and I just want to keep walking one foot in front of the other, that's really what they're both about. I absolutely love it. You mentioned like you're a big energy person. And I think the first time we met was uh, like an indie WrestleMania weekend. You're backstage with your headphones, as you always are, kind of like vibing out. And I'm like, man, this guy just like feels like he's he's into the moment. He's definitely here. He's knows who he is. Just absolutely awesome and i love that you're around and i i'm very very excited to finally work with you so this is going to be super fun but yeah uh we are talking to keith lee here on aew unrestricted coming up talk a little bit more about his background in both wrestling and football we're talking with keith lee here on aew unrestricted uh, one of our great New stars, but obviously not a new star as far as pro wrestling is concerned. If you've been following pro wrestling, not only on the independents, but also in WWE, NXT, you know all about Keith Lee. Keith, before we get into uh, your background, I want to talk a little bit, obviously, about the problems that you encountered in 2021 health-wise. I wanted to go back and talk just a minute about you playing football, uh, defensive end, redshirt freshman, Texas A&M in the SEC, I guess, by that time. Talk about your football experience. So we were actually still in the Big 12. In the um, Big 12, okay. Yeah, this is back when Frangione was coaching. All right. I actually played all over the defensive line. Uh, I mostly played defensive tackle. Um, and football, I've got a great love for it. I love the chess that comes with it. If, if you're an intellectual, there are things you can do on that field that kind of make you able to read offenses and things of that sort. So I really, that aspect, I think that for me, even though I was there, part of it may have had to do with um, disagreements with the way coaching was done, not to call anybody out, but I, I did not get along very well with Francione personally. Yeah, well, a lot of guys are like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that proved very true over the next couple of years. But That's right. That's right. 
I think that's something that kind of helped push me toward what was already kind of eating at me, which was the want to professionally wrestle. I really made that decision in that freshman year that I was going to find a way and figure out how to get involved in it. I really came with zero knowledge on how to do it. I had no clue where I was going to get involved or how. I didn't know that there were schools for it or anything like that. I just I said, I'm going to do this one way or another. And, oh, man, the the uproar in the household with that decision was amazing. And everything you just said. <laughs> because uh, as a guy that was being talked to by, you know, three or four different NFL teams without even playing a game, didn't make sense to a parent, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. I, I stood my ground one way or another, and I went through a lot of struggle and a lot of trials and tribulations and somehow managed to land on my feet and stand up and and find a way to grind and, and get my way into the sport of professional wrestling which was uh it was a journey to say the very least so was the nfl ever it sounds like it was never really a direction that you wanted to go despite having all of these teams wanting to talk to you so yeah i don't know why you would think that an athlete that's kind of been given the world and, and, and a plethora of opportunities would be excited for that. But for some reason, for me, was not a thing that I really looked at. Uh, there were times, like speaking with my father, where it would be this exciting prospect and what have you. But on the inside, when I wasn't speaking with him, all I could think about was how I would find a way to become a professional wrestler and some point it just burst and exploded and i found it i found that way so yeah that my want was always here and what i do you seem like the kind of person that you always want to prioritize like your desires and your happiness and whatever is going to give you the most benefit to your life individually and i really really respect that so you'd mentioned like not really knowing where to go for wrestling training and whatnot like what was the step from defensive lineman into wrestling training what, what actually happened was I found out that there was a little independent promotion in the city that I just happened to be in. And I just started going there and talking to people. And eventually I asked enough questions that led to finding out that, you know, they had this class that they would train people. I forget the guy's name. I want to say his name was B.J. Turner. Guy used to wrestle. He was a smaller guy, but he was he was a monster. He was awesome. He also did some like uh, MMA style fighting as well. I got into training there. I think that the training was a little slow for me personally, and I met a gentleman in said training that would show up because I think he was trying to branch out. His name was Paul Michael. Well, that's how he introduced himself. That was his work name at the time. His actual <laughs> name was Paul Ingram. Uh, and I still talk to that guy today. And he kind of felt me out. And as we got to know each other, he was like, hey, uh, do you like training here? And I was like, it's all right. You know, like it's a little slow. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm just trying to be patient. But as, as a guy that's had everything thrown at him, patience was not something I had a lot of at that time. I just wanted to exude that. But he presented an opportunity that would change my life because um, he offered me to come and train with him one day. He's like, I just come here to kind of, some of my friends are here and 
I'm thinking about trying to get a spot on this card or whatever. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. And I go out and I just hop a ride with this guy one day and he takes me out into this, like the boon dockies. I'm talking like the country. You only see trees and barns and things of that sort. Right. Come to find out he would lead me to killer Tim Brooks training school. And for those that know, you know, but Lo and behold, he pulls back this barn door and there's this gigantic ring in here. And uh, there ain't, there's a lot of people on in the Indies. You, you only see a 16-foot ring and it's cake to kind of mess around with those. And then you get yourself into a 20-foot ring for the first time and it's a different world. But when you get yourself in a 20-foot old school ring, I'm talking Ooh. hard. <laughs> it was the most pain for... You know, a couple of weeks. That was the decision that changed everything for me. It was brilliant, just absolutely fantastic. We're talking with Keith Lee, and Keith, you uh, was on, you were on the independent circuit for a number of years. No, you tried out for WWE a number of times, didn't get in, and that, from what I read, really obviously gets uh, to your psyche, gets to your confidence. But you credit Jim Ross, Dusty Rhodes, and, and Steve Regal or William Regal, I guess, uh, <laughs> with uh, key influences and in keeping you motivated, right? Correct. Yeah, talk about those guys, because those are special guys throughout the years in wrestling. Yeah, as you mentioned, I literally had uh, three tryouts. Two of them were on my own, and one, the very last one, was in 2013 with their first performance center tryout. Right. And that one was the one that made me kind of wonder if I made the right decision in leaving football to pursue this thing. I doubt that Jim Ross even remembers this um, because it's one of maybe three times we've ever spoken. But at the end of that, I did probably some of the most ridiculous work in terms of like promo and things of that sort, because it was a little, I just learned a lot of things from Dusty and I was kind of throwing them all in at once. Yeah. So I did a lot of different things, but um, Jim Ross pulled me aside. I don't know if he knew what the situation was with the decision right away or what have you, but he, he pulled me aside and basically told me, hey, uh, regardless of what their decision is, I want you to know that I believe you are a million-dollar talent. Ooh. That was something that, that touched me very deep. And meant a lot to me coming from someone like him, because as I'm sure you two know, the man is a straight shooter. Yep. It was something I very much appreciated coming from him. And in terms of um, Dusty, Dusty's just a guy that's been there from my first tryout and coached me along from telling me how much I sucked in terms of speaking and my own confidence <laughs> <laughs> up to telling me how much I improved and how proud he was of me and, and kind of telling me that I had that aura, something that he could bask in. And that was the birth of Bask in My Glory and why that's something that I hold so closely to. And Regal's just, he's been an advocate of mine forever, ever since the first time we met. So those last two guys have had like a year-on-year -year impact on me and my life and how I view things and how things are applied to the way that I think in wrestling and the way I move and how I carry myself. All those things are something that I can attribute to their knowledge and what they've imparted in me. So great appreciation. 
It's amazing because I feel the the way in which you speak, I like to think of it as like you're this classic Shakespearean thespian. <laughs> like you have this just air about you and this excellence in like every word that you enunciate. I'm just like, yeah, like I could listen to this guy forever. Like, please start like doing audiobooks because I feel like you could totally change that industry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I appreciate that greatly. I really do. Well, I want to go back to Indies a little bit because you had originally, you found this this barn with your 20-foot ring in Texas, had been there for a bit and eventually started branching out. I think in 2017, if I see this correctly, you had like PWG, Battle of Los Angeles, absolutely incredible show, but you had an amazing match with Donovan Dijak. And why do you think it was that you guys worked so well? Yeah, I would say that I began branching out in around 2015 with my um, little bit of time in Ring of Honor, tagging with my boy Shane Taylor. That bit of traction led to getting the attention of other promotions and kind of got me a very happenstance opportunity, actually. Um, as a young lady that lives in Canada and does some writing, and she would just talk me up to certain promotions that I was interested in because she watched a promotion that I worked for in Texas. And that led to a match in 2016. And I actually still have the poster for it. That was at Beyond Wrestling. Yes, It was my first time ever hitting the East Coast. You're talking, so 2016, you're talking 11 years in this industry with not really venturing more than a couple of states away from Texas. That's crazy. That's like a recipe for disaster if you live in Texas. Because <laughs> getting right. out of Texas, you have to get out of Texas if you want to make it. So I have this match with Dijak. I don't care what name he has out there. His name is Dijak. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this match, and it is bananas. I'm like, I have to make a statement, and I'm going to do some things I don't normally do all in one match. We go in there and I'm leapfrogging and drop kicking a six foot seven man in the mouth. Uh, I think there was some point I like pressed him and then turned it into a standing moonsault, like stuff I just don't normally do because I don't have to. And it doesn't make sense to do all that stuff. Like I should be flattening people, but Dijak is a big fellow and he hits hard. We had never spoken outside of. Hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. Because he was in the ROH and it's just that's locker room etiquette. And then we have this match and it's an instant bond, like instant, because we never spoke outside of that. And then this match was nuts. We blew the roof off the place. The card was destroyed because after a match like that, and we're first after intermission, not a lot of energy left for the last couple matches. So with that chemistry and the praise that that match got, that match became a thing that kind of traveled the nation. It led to that match at PWG. And it was a real fortune because the guy was already signed with WWE, but I knew he wanted to work PWG. And I'm like, listen, let's make a thing happen. And let's make this your last hoorah on the Indies before you do your thing. And then we went out there and had the craziest match that I've probably ever been in. And we look back at it now and it's like, Jesus Christ, we did way too much. <laughs> but 
you know, the crowd was in it. And for all 120 degrees in that building that it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah brutal. Absolutely brutal. But somehow, some way we pushed through and made it through. And I still had two more matches after that. <laughs> that match is something that will be special forever, regardless of how ridiculous it was. And it was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But that guy, he's just one of those guys that if you click with him, you're going to have a knockdown, drag out, banger of a match every time. And it doesn't matter how often we say, okay, we're going to take it easy. When we take it easy, it's still an excellent match. Like, the guy's brilliant, and I will always be a fan of his. We're talking with Keith Lee. Keith, before we go to our break, I wanted to touch on what I mentioned earlier about your health problems in the 2021 you got COVID, then diagnosed with a heart inflammation. Uh, talk about your health issues and how you battled and uh, I guess maybe thought you'd never wrestle again, right? Yeah. Um, we can dial it back and take it to January that year. Okay. I had contracted COVID at the end of January, and I, I wasn't certain I had it, but I knew that I had been around someone that had claimed to have it. The reality was... I actually got it at work, <laughs> mm-hmm. which really sucked. That took me out, and I, I was out for three weeks because of the speculation. It sat for about a week before it like hit me. And like I went through my two weeks, and I was like, okay, it did like wreck me during it. Just massive fevers and difficulty breathing, constant coughing, all that stuff, and. You know, just the things that you, that you hear about. And I ended and I get back to training a little slightly early and I was feeling pretty good myself. Like, God, I'm, I came out of COVID and I don't really talk like gym numbers very often, but I was shocked. I came out of COVID and I was bench pressing like 510 pounds for like three reps. And it was just nuts to me. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so I do that. And I go back to work on the 8th of February. I remember this day because I wrestled another buddy of mine that I know would pull out of, like, if we knock heads and we have time, we'd have a ridiculous match. And that's Matt Riddle. Mm-hmm. We have this match. It's two segments. We, we go through a commercial break. I'm curling the guy with one arm. And I feel great. Like, it's fine. Coming back, when you have respiratory issues with COVID, you have to do different blood tests and get, like, an EKG, things of that sort. So I get, I did all that, and the EKG was fine, and everything was fine. I felt good. I felt strong, obviously. And we have this match, and it's like, yeah, hey, whatever. Everything's fine. Cool. Let's get ready for this pay-per-view. And then... The next day, I get a call, and they're like, hey, there's something wrong with your blood. We're going to need you to not do anything. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you want? That doesn't sound right. Fast forward uh, a week or two, I have this MRI, and they're like, yeah, this isn't very good. You got this inflammation around the wall of your heart, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I say blah, blah, blah now, but in the moment, it's like, what the heck is going on? Right. I take it easy. I do nothing more than walking for a while. And mind you, the the type of athlete I am, I require a certain level of training. And it has to be top tier to do what I do with my body. A lot of people say, for his size, he does this, he does that. No, I have to do a lot of certain types of training in order to 
produce what I do in the ring. And it requires a certain level of explosiveness. So obviously lacking training is like just blowing me away. And I'm not enjoying that at all. But time goes on, I have a second MRI and and it gets worse. Mm. And at this point, they're like, okay, you might have something really bad. And I'm like, like what, what, what do you mean? Like, I've gone through all my life and all these checkups and everything's been fine. I'm like, well, we're experiencing some of this, these things. When people have COVID, there's a small percentage that deal with this. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's do what we got to do. Secretly, they don't want me to panic, but these doctors are basically thinking that I've ended up with some sort of heart disease or something drastic. And they basically tell me, hey, you can't do anything because if your heart rate raises too much, there's a chance that you could just stop and pass away. Well, so that was terrifying. Yeah. But the person that I am, I couldn't bring myself to like tell my family because I know that they're going to worry and just jump to the worst conclusions. And I didn't need that because that would have also stressed me out and made it worse. I felt like, so I kept things very simple and, and, and for the most part, I only went on like little walks here and there. I really just kind of like sat back and read books and watched anime and, I think I played a little bit of World of Warcraft and stuff like that just to kind of like keep my mind occupied because I'm a guy that likes to be productive. So I'm like writing music and I'm playing games and watching anime, anything to keep me busy. So time goes by and I have my fourth one, I think, and it's like still not great. Like it's better, not great still. And eventually they schedule me to go to Pittsburgh. And to me, Pittsburgh, if you have to go to Pittsburgh, there's something really bad going on. <laughs> really bad. Like, there's, I'm prepared to change professions at this point. I'm literally in my head like, okay, if they give me this news, on this, five, this fifth one, that things aren't good, I will have to tell my family, hey, there's been a thing and there's this potential I could pass away and I'm going to have to change professions. Like, I can't do this anymore. And for five hours, I was at this hospital, five and a half, actually. And for five of those hours, I was certain that I was going to have to figure out a new job. And I was certain that I was going to give them genetic testing because they were worried that if I had children, that they could pass to them, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, this got way worse in the span of a couple hours. And the doctor, he's like, you just don't seem like you're going through what this is saying. So he asked for the information. And fortunately, I brought my records from previous visits. And he's like, this is incomplete information. Hmm. So he's like, let's do one more. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't fit in these MRI machines. <laughs> my shoulders banged up from being stuck in them, like. It took me so long to get this thing back working properly, but I'm like, you know, whatever it takes. So I get back in there and this is the longest one. So it's the worst one. I'm in all the pain. I had to take two breaks during the process because I just couldn't handle being squished in there that way. But we go through it. We get all of it done. And he's like, hey, uh, 
this finishes and I get dressed and I go hang out in the, in the deal. And he's like checking everything immediately, which I haven't seen any doctor do. So I was grateful for that. And he comes out the room. He's like, Hey, um, how are you feeling? I'm like, my shoulder hurts. But I'm happy that it's over with. He's like, um, do you still want to professionally wrestle? And I'm like, obviously that's what I've been fighting all this time. I, as you told me earlier, I'm prepared to to make other adjustments if I have to and, and find another thing to do in this world. And he's like, we've looked at everything and we got every bit of information that's required. And we're not seeing anything that these people have claimed that you had. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, well, your heart's back to normal. Your EKG was fine even before now. How do you feel? I was like, I feel like I miss training. <laughs> So we have this long talk and it's like, okay, listen, I need to take this slow. But by what I'm seeing here, you are normal. And I'm like, okay. He's like, now you're going to have some after effects from things of having to be sedentary and from the after effects of COVID too, that you're, you didn't notice before you're going to notice now, especially when you get back into training, especially on a cardiovascular level. I'm like, okay. So we go through this whole thing. He gives me the spiel. It's like five weeks of training, and I bet you'll be able to wrestle. So I go through these five weeks, and let me tell you, day one, two, and three destroyed me. (laughs) It was so bad. But over those five weeks, like having a match, the final week I must have had three or four matches in like one day. And I was like, wrestling is the easy part. It's the other stuff that I'm used to doing, like sprinting bleachers or just doing sprints in general. Like 50 sprints is not a thing I can do right now. Normally, that's something sprint, 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 and just go. Now I need to do like 20, 25 before I have to take a break. And I'm not used to that, but I would prefer to fight that battle and be able to fight that battle than do nothing. Because that's not good for me and my lifestyle and how I feel about being an athlete. It was a big struggle and a long ordeal. As that's obviously the story has been long as hell, but uh, that's that's the reality of how things went on to the comeback. So yeah, it was it was an event and a journey. Yeah, it was a big journey. You are so calm, <laughs> and I'm like, I would be pissed. <laughs> I would be punching motherfuckers. Like, oh man. I would be done. <laughs> the thing is, like, as mad as I was, it wasn't that doctor's fault. It was the previous places because it, the other places that did MRIs were in Tampa, Florida. They were in Orlando, Florida. I don't know what was missing. You know, I, I, I'm no doctor or anything of that sort, but I know that I'm grateful to that one because without him, I may not be doing this right now. Damn. And without the reality of being able to go back to training in the grand scheme of things, I could have just not been here. I could have passed away. I could have been a knucklehead for me and how I feel. It is so much more gratitude for life and even more for me being able to do what I do still, because I was this close to losing professional wrestling. So it means that much more to me now. Well, we're so happy that you came out of that healthy and you're coming back and oh my God, like, oh, 
This is absolutely, I'm so happy to hear that everything worked out. We're talking to Keith Lee on AEW Unrestricted. Coming up, we've got lots and lots of fun fan questions. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> This is AEW Unrestricted. Tony and Aubrey here with Keith Lee. Keith Lee is all elite. We're so happy he's here. He's struggled so much in the last few years with some medical stuff and came out on top. He's limitless. We all know it. He's absolutely amazing. We have fan questions. Lots of fun stuff. Ready to learn even more about Keith Lee. Question from Pro Wrestling Fanatic. What goals do you have in AEW? Oh, man. You started with an easy one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think that my goals are the same everywhere because I am never one that is what I describe as chosen as a top guy. I always have to earn my way every single time. And that's something that I'm looking forward to doing in AEW. I want to earn a world championship opportunity. And I believe I'm more than capable of it. The amount of talent at that Top tier is also like I'm kind of drooling at the prospect of fighting some of these guys. So yeah, it's that that's definitely obviously like goal number one. That's where I want to get climb the ladder, if you will. This question comes from Anti with <laughs> You wanna finish that name, Tony? <laughs> Ant Anti with panties? No, it's Anti with the good tits. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I think you've already answered this, Keith, but well, let's go ahead and hit it anyway. What is one piece of advice that has motivated you to push through the hills and valleys of life? You know what? Yeah, I think that I, I could say that my my own like theology on life is something that has helped me do that. But I'm going to take something that I learned from somebody else. And that is a man named Undertaker. He told me years and years and years ago. In this life, whatever it is I, I choose to do, I need to make sure that it means something. Don't do anything for nothing. Always make it mean something. And I think that that's something that I've applied, especially wrestling in the Indies. Right. Any match that I've had, I tried to make sure that match meant something special. And that's something that helped me climb, actually. So, yeah, we'll go with that. Questions from my buddy Nat. Any plans of being in the tag team division? And if so, who would be your partner? I've never, like, the only person that I've been in, like, in a true tag team with is Shane Taylor back in ROH. So I don't ever really think about the tag team division as, as for myself necessarily. I think that if I was in a tag team, the thing is I don't know everybody yet, but I think I would try and drag Ricky Starks out of Team Taz and use him as a couple Texas boys. And I think we would have like an interesting dichotomy as a team. Ooh, very cool. Uh, Iana wants to say congratulations to you and Mia on your recent nuptials. How did you both meet? And when did you know Mia was the one? Oh, uh, yeah. So we met. At, so she doesn't remember the first time we met. <laughs> <laughs> we actually met for the first time in 2014 at a wrestling independent promotion named Inspire Pro. I don't know if they still exist or not, but we met there. She does not recall this meeting. Uh, she just came and wrestled. And then I met her again in 2017 
it was actually in passing. And I didn't even know she knew who I was, actually, at that time. But uh, we met in a hallway as she was arriving to an event, and I was leaving one. It was WrestleMania weekend. And we just had a brief chat. I saw her again as, like, wrestling shows were crossing, and she kind of caught me looking, <laughs> which is really abnormal for me because I don't, it's really not my my thing. I'm not a guy that just kind of scopes the chicks out or anything like that. I'm going to keep to myself. Right. But she called me out on it, and it was really embarrassing. <laughs> and that was that experience. And before you knew it, we, we had some really fun conversations. And the last conversation, she basically just made me take her number. <laughs> yeah, from there, I took a chance to, to kind of message her and it panned out from there somehow. That one time you looked at girls, <laughs> that one time, and see what it's led to. <laughs> Very good. As far as like knowing that she's the one, gosh, I've always had an affinity for Mia Yim. All the way back from like 2014, I just liked her energy, mm-hmm. who she was, to the person that I met, right? She was going through some tough stuff back then. And I could kind of feel that, but underneath that, her energy was radiant. As time wore on, I would probably say somewhere through 2020 was the time I was like, this could be like a real, real thing. And it was a decision that that I made and surprised her. She had no clue it was coming. She was expecting it for like a year or two, but she had no clue it was coming. You should have seen me, guys. I was a secret agent when I proposed. I was it was amazing. She cried, she jumped like a little child. It was it was cute. <laughs> I love hearing that you in twenty twenty were like, this is the one because a lot of people in twenty twenty were stuck at home and it put a lot of strain on relationships. So <laughs> that's how you know <laughs> this one, this one's going to make it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And the reality of things, like she doesn't bother me when I watch anime. She lets me play my games. You know, she's super nurturing. So that's all fine and dandy. And she likes to play games now. So that's pretty awesome. Very, very cool. Uh, you mentioned anime a couple times. We got a question from Two Sweet News. Who is your favorite Dragon Ball Z character? Easy. Broly, without question. I don't even... Hey, there's no other... Yeah, Broly's the one. And from Hewitt Films, if you could pick one Pokemon to accompany you to ringside, who would it be and why? Also easy. Mewtwo. Oh, because he is my absolute favorite Pokemon. If I could have a team of six Mewtwo's, I would have it. <laughs> my buddy's Snorlax. Like, that's my... Hey, my that's a good choice. <laughs> that's a good job, Super cuddly. I'm already Snorlax, so I don't need one. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah, this is why we're going to be best friends. Sorry, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dumping you for Keith Lee. <laughs> That's cool. Hey, Keith, thanks for your time, man. It, it's great having you here. It's great talking to you. You're so positive. It's great having you backstage. You're going to have a great career here in AEW, and we're glad to be a part of it. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I appreciate it, truly. You can follow Keith Lee, as I said earlier, on Instagram. And Twitter at Real Keith Lee, and you can listen and follow this podcast, AW and Restricted, wherever you get your podcasts, free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Check out our video episodes on YouTube. Just search AW and Restricted, and you'll see my dog has to go out and pee because he's been barking at me the entire time. <clears throat> bug. The bug. Uh, and also, where can you see our television shows, Aubrey? 
You can see us everywhere. Mondays and Tuesdays, we are on YouTube with Dark Elevation and AEW Dark. We are on TBS on Wednesdays, Dynamite, 8 o'clock, 7 central, and Rampage on TNT, 10 o'clock, 9 central. I'm Aubrey Edwards. This is Tony Schiavone, along with Keith Lee. Thank you so much for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Come on, throw your hands up, let me see you. Unrestricted.